inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good day and welcome to another episode of Outlook. How are you doing today, Carrie? Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Yeah, uh, we're right here around the end of one year and the beginning of the next, the next one. So yeah, with all the pre-recording, we're not tw- quite sure yet what day this is going to air, but uh... <laughs> we like to be upfront about that. <laughs> yeah, so still still staying, staying safe and at home. And when we're recording this, it's right before... A week before Christmas, pretty much on the 18th. So, um, but yeah, I I'm excited because every January uh, is um, January 4th to be exact is World Braille Day. So, um, obviously, the topic today is not strictly about Braille, but uh, Braille does play a big part in it. So, for sure. Um, but yeah, so Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, wherever wherever you are and whatever you wherever this happens to be airing for you. Uh, today we have a guest um, who speaking... So where are you speaking to us from? Um, this is Pekiora. Kiora? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And where are you today? I'm in Montreal. Oh, okay. Good. Well, I figured there wasn't a time difference, but... Um. Yeah, it's the thing we've had. <laughs> Guest, oh, there's some dogs going nuts in my apartment here. I don't know if you guys can hear them. But, oh, uh, <laughs> that's your apartment again. Gotcha. Yes, gotcha. that's me this time. I was about to ask if our guest had a dog, but I forgot <laughs> that you have a, a an ongoing feud of dogs in your apartment. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whose dogs they are, but they seem to get in a bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a fight or something out there sometimes. Um, um, but uh, but yeah, thanks. it's tough with time yeah. zones. We you know we've had guests from all over the place, so everyone's at different times. And but you're not. You're in the same time zone as us. So I am. Yes. So we were talking before we um, started recording here about in the time of COVID and everybody's doing most of their things from home and how occasionally you get to look into someone's real life when you do that with Zoom and all these things. And um, we use FaceTime actually today, but uh, yeah, we all have things going on. So we all understand dogs, children, it it happens. But um, maybe if you want to tell us a bit about yourself um, and how, how long you've lived in Montreal or where else you've lived in Canada or... Sure, sure. Um, so my name is Pekiota. I'm from New Zealand. Um, I've been in Canada almost three years. I married a Canadian who I met in New Zealand. Wow, and, welcome. Um, yeah, yeah, and he missed, he missed the snow. <laughs> oh. Does it really snow in New Zealand? And so two years ago was the first time I ever saw snow. It was quite an experience, I have to say, just magical i'm still in love with it can't do anything else when it's snowing i have to just watch it (laughs) wow so i don't i mean i'd love to go to new zealand it's on my list uh it's quite the yeah same here it's uh it just sounds like such a neat place and there's i'm I'm really a big into music and there's a big music scene there tons of bands i listen to from new zealand so oh cool i'd love to go there someday yeah yeah so well we planned um coming to canada for a year and we were just going to come and have a look and see if it was, well, I guess see if we could make it home. And mm-hmm. 
our year of preparation, being a librarian, I like preparation. So we had a big map of Canada on the wall and we had um, jobs and we had um, climate and we had all sorts of statistics for where we thought we might like to live. And we decided on a place and we landed and we got there. And within six weeks, we were like, no, this is not us. <laughs> mm. Partially from New Zealand, some of the cities here are huge and we weren't right. sure if we would fit into a big city. Right. Yeah. So um, that was originally Ottawa, but we didn't really feel Ottawa. And so we drove to BC and we lived in BC for a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's, and we that's lived far, up north. Drive. <laughs> it right, was. Right. It was a wonderful trip. Um, nice. Really great actually wow. seeing all the towns that we had read about and looked at pictures of and watched videos of. Um, yeah, so that was super interesting. Um, but then after a year, a, a kind of funny story, we didn't realise that not everywhere in Canada was um, bilingual. And we didn't, when we landed in BC, no one spoke French and we are like, oh, weird. <laughs> we thought everyone spoke French. And English, just, you know, backwards and forwards. I wish um, I spoke French, but I, I don't. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, yeah, we really wanted that. So we then had to think, hmm, how much do we want it? Do we want it enough to be really brave and just move to Quebec and force ourselves? And we decided that, yeah, we did. Um, so we arrived in Montreal uh, sort of the end of last year-ish. Um, and almost straight away went into lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> so you haven't had a chance to explore the city as much as you might have. No, and I mean, I've met about 10 actual Quebecers since I've been here. Oh. <laughs> but that's all right. This time, this time. For sure. People are, you know, impatient and in a rush sometimes, but we just have to all calm down and things will sort themselves out, hopefully, so... But it, it's got to yeah. be a little frustrating. You move. I mean, I've heard of other people too. You, they move right before this happened, and it's just uh, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, as a librarian, I'm sure um, in Canada, French and English, it's probably important to you. Oh yes, very important. Very important. Um, it's on my to do list. I've done the first two levels. They have this great course in Quebec where you can go and learn French. So I've done two levels um, so I can introduce myself and I know some words, but um, there's still a long way to go. Well, what are listeners um, who maybe are in the U.S. or whatever, I guess, you know, Spanish is a big language there, but at the same time, it's not quite the same as Canada's French and English. So I don't know if everybody knows about how that's... Um, yeah, and you, you think more Canadians should be more strict of the idea of learning it, but um, as a librarian and in that field, so you can help people, it must be good to know both. And um, So that's a Absolutely. good goal you're setting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, I always feel terrible when I get queries in French because I know I should be able to reply, but I kind of can't thank goodness for Google. Eek! I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> for their translate, because you can just pop their... Um, message in there translate it find out exactly what they're asking <laughs> reply right. and translate it back and just keep your fingers crossed i know the grammar is um terrible but me attempting to do it myself would be worse yeah at least yeah. it's something so yeah <laughs> it's pretty pretty neat that we at least have that option so yeah so how long have you been a librarian then 
Um, my very first job was in libraries. Yep, I started part-time just putting books on the shelves, um, mostly because I loved reading and I really like helping people. And, yeah, books are amazing. Books can change lives. Um, I agree. Certainly for me, yeah, they, they have changed my life. So um, I've worked in all different roles, uh, everything from uh, – because I'm quite interested in a lot of different subjects – I have um, managed youth libraries where play video games, play pool, and just get to hang out. Um, also, uh, libraries where we taught people how to do things, um, create email accounts or CVs. Um, also, um, worked on library websites and digital collections, particularly um, about 10 years ago when we were looking at how do you evaluate a digital platform? How do you evaluate if it suits your customers, if it's any good or if it's going to be a piece of software that only works on Bing, for example? <laughs> mm -hmm. right. So um, so creating those policy decisions so that we can make sure that what we were buying was um, good value for money for library users. And that's kind of um, what happened when I came over here. So. Literally, within one week of getting um, permanent residency, I saw an ad on the library listserv because I'd been following it, just having a look at jobs, having a look at what they were like in Canada. Um, we already knew we weren't staying in BC, so it didn't actually matter where it was. I was kind of interested in maybe um, Northwest Territories or Nunavut or um, oh. Whitehorse, somewhere up there, somewhere like nice. really different. So I had my net cast very wide for all the jobs in Canada and what you had to do and what they look like and how people talk and, like, the culture. And um, then I saw the job for Nels and I thought, wow, how cool is that? I don't really know a lot about that and I want to know a lot about that. <laughs> Great. And the more I learned, the, the, the more interesting it became. I was horrified to learn some of the statistics about how little is born digital like how little is available immediately how little is created in braille i was just like oh my god that's not on <laughs> how has that been allowed to happen who do i talk to where's the manager no i didn't really say that <laughs> so what was your has your experience been of braille at that point what did you know of it and really not a lot um and when I thought about it, I thought, actually, you know, I have never known a Braille collection in a public library that I've worked in. Mm -hmm. Like, we have the audiobook collection, right. um, large print collection, but um, I didn't remember ever seeing a Braille collection. And that really gave me pause. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh... It's un it's, it is unfortunate for sure. And I just think maybe we should go back a little bit or at least kind of explain. Carrie, you've talked about Nels on the show uh, a little bit, but just, just to kind of tell our listeners what that stands for and sort of the overall mission or what, what, uh, what Nels does. Yeah, I mean, if you've been listening to the show for however uh, any length of time, you'll have heard me talk about it maybe. Uh, and it is an important subject to me and I can actually get over emotional about it all. So I try to try to talk about these things calmly because I know everybody doesn't know what I know about, about Braille and doesn't have that same attachment, but I know everybody at least thinks it's neat, right? Like they at least are intrigued by it. Um, and it sounds like you were too. And yeah, it, 
that's why I talk about it so much on this show is um, I believe that it needs to be talked about because it is important for anyone who's blind for literacy. And um, I know, like you said, that in libraries, there have always, well, for a long time, there have been audiobook collections and large print collections. And I mean, people who can, who have perfect 20-20 vision sometimes enjoy audiobooks, but often large print and audiobooks, they're a collection in a library because you probably figure like there's a lot of seniors who maybe have started going blind or losing some of their vision um, for different reasons they're in there, but Braille, not so much. And I, I get that, but um, yeah, I've always loved Braille and Brian and I have read it all our lives practically. And so three years ago when I found out about the Canadian Federation of the Blind, that was when I found out about NELS and NELS stands for, it took me a while to get it, <laughs> Na <laughs> National Network for Equitable Library Service, right? So uh, we'll, we'll get more into that in a minute with our, with our guest here. But um, I didn't know about the Canadian Federation of the Blind until I was basically in my mid-30s and I didn't know about NELS. And that still blows me away now that I think about it and I look back on it because I wonder why those things aren't, at least have, at least we would have heard of them. But that's the thing. Some of the things, it takes a while for these things to grow. And um, so I found out, yeah, like you mentioned, um, we had um, a spokesperson from NELS at the time. One of our early, um, I guess, yes. conference calls. Speakers, conference yeah. calls, Yeah, from Ontario, we would have our conference call every month and for people in this province. And uh, soon after we started those and we got involved with CFB, we found out about NELS. And so we were able to book a speaker for one of our um Thursday night calls and her name was Sabina and uh, she told us all about it and I was kind of just in shock coming away from it because I hadn't known it was a thing and all of a sudden I'm trying to learn all about it because I was so excited to hear about it and so I'm just, you know three years on basically I'm still trying to get a better idea about it and spread the word about it and so I wanted to finally have uh, arranged to have someone who could speak about it um, and as you said you're fairly new to things um, but We'll um, talk about it uh, in every way we can on this show because I think it's important. And um, so, yeah, you mentioned it, it's helpful that you have a um, a job where you were very adventurous and open to traveling wherever you could find a good job. And I guess you said you you still are thrilled by snow. So I guess those northern places you suggested <laughs> going were, were all right with you. But um yeah, so basically since then, I've tried to learn more about NELS, and um, yeah, I, I, was a, I was a part of a, a project that you guys did a couple of years back, where you were writing up a, um, a paper, because you were trying to study the availability of Braille in Canadian public libraries, and um, again, I don't know if, how much you came across Braille ever in New Zealand, but um, what's it like in New Zealand, would you say, Braille? Is it everywhere? Is it? No, no, I think it's um, quite niche. Um, mm -hmm. We have the New Zealand Foundation for the Blind, and so that would sort of fall under their umbrella. They, mm -hmm. in a way, fulfilled the role of NELS in New Zealand in that they were supported by the government to have collections specifically for people with print disabilities. And the libraries sort of, um, not rented, but lent books from them. So, wow. yeah, every month or so you would get a big box of books um, from the New Zealand Foundation of the Blind and you'd take yours off the shelf, um, cassette tapes, um, CDs, 
um, things like that. I do not remember seeing Braille, though. Um, but that collection, you'd box up and you'd send back to them and they would send you new stuff mm-hmm. based on um, what your patrons were reading, really. Wow. Mm. And, I mean, I'm obviously Canada and New Zealand, very different countries in a lot of ways, but we have some similarities, I guess. I don't know what you'd see as the biggest similarity between the two countries. Um, yeah, I, in a way, it was a wee bit jarring how very alike New Zealand and Canada are, but also okay. different in weird ways. It's hard to explain. Um, mm-hmm. it's it kind of funny. It, I think a really, uh, personally, one of the biggest things is New, New Zealand culture has this huge, um, theme of she'll be right, mate. And it's this idea that it'll be all right. It'll come out in the wash. Do you know what I mean? It's hard to explain exactly what that means, but it sort of runs through our attitude to almost everything. We're really um, easygoing and laid back. Um, yeah, that's exactly I, what I was thinking. I just I figured that might be the similarity or something where because Canadians, I th- I feel I mean you'd be maybe a better judge because you just moved here, but um, that uh, it's it's that laid back sort of personality where it's very easygoing and uh, yeah. Don't get super upset about things, really. Yeah, it's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I could talk to you all day about New Zealand, I know, because <laughs> I love that country so much. Um, and I know how well they're doing in the pandemic, obviously, being sort of I know. tucked away yeah. down there. Um, so hopefully you and your family are all keeping safe and all that. But yeah, um, I guess, obviously, like I said, Nels isn't all about Braille because there are a lot of blind people who don't know Braille. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I guess, like Canadians who don't know French. Like, it's, you know, it would be nice if we could all know all of it. Um, but that's just not the reality. So um, Nels has, uh, it's like you said, uh, digital now. So digital collections and things. So you can download um, talking books or um if you are not a Braille user, but since um, January 4th is coming up, I thought we'd focus specifically on Braille. Sure. Do you know about the Nels Print Braille Collection? Well, actually, I was going to get into that because uh, cool. I actually, I reached out to you guys. Um, well, I actually maybe sent someone your way and I'd like to, I don't know how much more you can tell us about that here, but I, I actually um, did a sensitivity read with a um, publisher in Toronto where I read this children's book they have coming out called My City Speaks. It's about a little girl who's blind. And um, so they actually, uh, the, the publisher reached out because I think I was, I believe it, take credit, I was the one who gave them the suggestion in my report of um, considering, you know, you should really make sure that this book gets made into a print braille, braille book. It's just, it seems obvious to me anyway. Yeah. Um, and not that I don't think all books should be for children who are blind to get early literacy and for just children in general to see that that's Braille is a, an acceptable part of life. But as you said, with libraries, it, it does sadden me. And I never I guess it never occurred to me years ago that I should really expect my local library to have Braille. And we get that, you know, a library, the Braille books, um, you know, take up a lot of space and they take when they're not digital they take up yeah. a lot of space so i don't expect that right for years for years what we had to do what we used to do is we would get these things in the mail we requested them to be in braille they were called braille books acquired and they were just a big catalog and you and i brian we used to read through them 
Right. Uh, but I think the, I think the main that? thing that we're, yeah, for sure. We used to read through all the lists and order all these books. Some of them we didn't even end up reading and they'd sit around, but we usually had quite well, a few. Um, it's good to have options though. We, well, like yeah. any yeah. other young person. For sure. But I think have... I sometimes remember calling and there would be an answering machine. I'd leave like 30 or 40 number, long numbers <laughs> yeah. of all these different books. And um, it was quite yeah. the time. But yeah, like you said, Carrie, it never really occurred to us at that time about, you know, Obviously, they can't have every single book in a library in Braille in every library. That takes up so much space. But the fact that there's nobody sees any Braille in libraries for the most part is so strange because it it's one of those things that we're trying to we're trying to normalize. We're trying to make people more aware of Braille. There's a lot of talk lately about um, with with technology and everything that Braille is getting phased out a little bit. Not as many blind children are learning it, and that's just very sad to Carrie and I because we're both we're both blind. We're both avid braille readers and it's uh it's it's one of those things that's just it's unbelievable really so it's just so nice to see an organization like nels that's that's working on that so yeah and just to know that other countries like you just described uh are already doing something like that and it's 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 not such a big deal but to hear here in canada it still feels like at least here in ontario it feels i mean i won't get into all of it today but uh um i've come up against a lot of um resistance to me telling my li library about Nels that it that it's even should be an option and that I would like access to it and um, that the importance of it just yeah. so they can see from one of their that I could, should be treated as any other patron that might walk in their doors and that I'm not you know that there's other options out there that they could make available so yeah that sort of happened um, but yeah I guess the these this is what do they say the statistics are about 10% of children are learning Braille these days or less than, less oh. than 10. So it's uh, between 5 and 9% maybe. I don't know. It's really low. Um, but maybe you could tell us a bit about more about more about what Nels is for people because I'm not the best at explaining it, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> See if you can like, enlighten us a bit more. So the vision of Nels is for Canadians with print disabilities to have access to the same books and information as everyone else through their local libraries. We look at, we've had a bigger focus lately on the production of books in accessible formats. Making books accessible from the outset is mm -hmm. not very dif difficult if you work it right from the beginning into your workflow. At the end, it's a lot of work to make a book accessible. But if you start from the beginning, it's not as much work. And a lot of publishers have been super interested in finding out how they can do it right from the beginning. So we created this website called um, accessible.ca, accessiblepublishing.ca. And that is a site that gives you hints and tips and tutorials about creating documents in accessible forum. Uh, accessible formats and how to make websites accessible and screen reader tutorials so people know what people might be seeing on their website. Mm -hmm. So helping publishers make their books accessible right from the beginning has been a big area for us. Great. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying with, with um, this publisher I've been working with that they, they reached out to me and asked, how can we, where do we go? Because I don't know if they know where to start with that sort of thing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, as publishers, yeah. how much how much publishers know about this already? 
Well, it's like we had a, we had a recent guest on, and this same topic came up, and like you you also mentioned here, um, websites where it's the same thing. Where a lot of these, a lot of times, it's so much easier if it's done from the beginning, but often it's not, and then it's a lot more work to have to, you know, fix it later, pretty much instead of doing it from the get go. And that's that's with websites, and that's with everything being accessible, really. So, yeah, yeah, um, we've also gone quite heavily into um, helping people learn about the different technologies out there. On our website, Forum NELS, the National Network of Equitable Library Services, and it's just nels.ca, we have a tutorial section. And in a tutorial section, you can find information about different formats. You can download your book in, depending on what you're reading it on, how to copy things from devices, between devices, and comparisons of different technologies. All of these things, like... This can be a really complex sort of landscape trying to figure it out the first time. Normally after you've figured out what you're reading on, whether it's an iPhone or a laptop, and exactly what books you need to download and how you can get them to work. Once you've covered that the first time, it's pretty easy from there, but the first time can be a bit daunting. So we've created some fantastic tutorials on our website that help people navigate through that. We have a brilliant team of testers who help us create um, tutorials for screen readers, for different types of um, programs like RB Digital, which is a um, database of books. And um, they've created some great tutorials on our website on YouTube. So we also have a YouTube channel <laughs> with um, lots of tutorials there. Great. And yeah, no, I'll, I should check those out. Yeah, you should. Have a look. See what you think. Um, also on the YouTube channel, you'll find information about narrating books because we've been um, working to help people um, narrate books in their library. So we have 10 portable recording kits that can be connected to PCs, Macs, iPhones, or iPads. And on our YouTube channel, there's training resources and we also have Pamela Hart who runs the program and she'll go through over video call exactly how to do it. So if you have a book you absolutely love that you wish was available in an accessible format and it currently isn't, this program might be able to help with that. So you can find information about that on our website as well. Wow. Yeah, no, that's a big, a big thing. I mean, I know as a, as a writer, I, I have a lot of other um, authors and things on my Facebook and social media. And I know that when they have, they have a book coming out, getting it obviously in audio is a big thing. And a lot of them read their own books. And I, I, I usually like to listen to audio books when, when I get to hear the, the writer's voice, because it, yeah. it really does make me feel like I'm, I'm in their story. So yeah, that's a big thing. And I, I think it's an interesting thing, right, Brian? Yeah, for sure. It's, a, it's you have a better voice than me for that, maybe. But yeah, well, it's it's like all of these things. It's like audio description. It's like everything where you know mm -hmm. some 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 of it's better than others. But at the same point, it's it, the more important thing is just having the having it out there, and uh, it's it's something that needs to be everything needs to be accessible, as we always talk about on this show. And uh, it's just great to see great to see this organization uh, is is available, and you know we. We're we we're having uh, we have our guest on here today to to just make people more aware of the these options that are out there. So, 
Yeah, I mean, like certain les- listeners who may be blind, who may not have heard of Nels, as, as I said, I hadn't before, or um, someone who might not need Nels at all, um, just to be aware of it, that it's out there and that they could recommend it or they could check it out themselves if they're just curious. If you're a librarian, um, the reason why I was a part of that paper there in 2018 was it was supposed to be sent out to librarians to let them know, you know, what's out there and what blind blind and visually impaired clients um, are looking for. You are listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western. We're speaking with Pikiora from National Network for Equitable Library Service. Going to take a quick break for some promos and we will be right back. Welcome back. You are listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western, and we are speaking with Pikiora from National Network for Equitable Library Service. Like I said, I haven't, it's not like this is the first to come along. It's not like we were waiting. We had Braille books and, and talking books for years from the CNIB Library in Toronto sent to us. And um, so that was always a, an option to us. And I did make use of that um, when I was younger. But in the last several years, I was reading less and less because I, I knew a lot of it became electronic and I wasn't as, um, as um, sure of a thing of things there. Right, have you always been a, a techie type person or did you have to learn a lot to be able to make tutorials and become a librarian? Obviously, you have to know a lot of different digital platforms. Yeah. Um, luckily, incredibly luckily, I have always been a techie person. It was um, my hobby. Um Although I came to computers quite late, I did not even know how to turn one on, um, but found myself one day with not many skills, very little education, no idea how to use a computer, and a very scary future in front of me if I didn't sort myself out quite quickly. And so I went to the library, and I used the free computers there, and I read everything I could get my hands on, and I read so much and so often, and all sorts of things. I got to know the librarians really well. And so when a job came up, um, they said to me, hey, why don't you think about applying? I was, like, shocked speechless at first, but then I thought, wow, that would be a cool job. <laughs> and so that's how I fell into being a librarian, and I've never lost my love for it. And But, yes, absolutely, the whole, uh, like, world of librarianship has changed and um, now it is so important that you're relatively comfortable with tech, technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to let our listeners know, and you also, uh, <laughs> the funny, the fun fact is that, you know, when kids are asked what they want to be when they grow up, um, my first memory, other than an artist, was wanting to be a librarian. So in school, <laughs> I don't know what it would have been fifth grade maybe we had to draw a picture of us doing our dream our job that we wanted to be when we grew up so I can remember drawing a picture this is back when I was able to still draw and see color and things I drew a picture of myself as a grown woman (laughs) I had glasses which is a stereotypical (laughs) library librarian image but sitting behind a desk with bookshelves all around me kind of based on our our little public library here in Woodstock growing up um, which was in a big old church I believe oh lovely so it always had like a very, you know how there are these old libraries in, in certain literature and things that are big, very vast buildings with high ceilings. That's kind of, that's what it was. So that's why libraries have had such a, a mystifying effect on my life and like such an early imprint. Um, 
So I don't know. I assume libraries, you have certain memories like that when you were a kid. But um, I'm just glad that Nels is attracting such passionate librarians and people in that field to be able to develop develop themselves even further. Yeah, I have to say, having um, quite a strong background and interest in technology, uh, the the area of accessibility around um, accessible books and all the different formats they can be in and all the different ways they can be accessed and um, the different needs, it has blown me away. It is such a huge area. Um, but but luckily, I quite like a challenge, so that's cool. And I have to say, um, having helped people with CVs, helped people get onto Facebook and contact people they haven't seen for years, um, all of that stuff, you're so blessed as a librarian to be able to help people for your job. Like, it's so good for the soul. But working for NELS is a whole other level, especially this year. Like, we've had just the most incredible emails from people who are trying to get access to things for family, loved ones with print disabilities who all of a sudden have lost the ability to read because their library's closed and are distraught. Being able to help people through that has been really special, really special. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point about that. Yeah, all the things that librarians sort of do that maybe aren't maybe wouldn't make the top 10 of their uh, list of their official duties but that most most times before or after this pandemic hopefully are such a source and so having them shut down i'm sure is hard but there's such a source for people for so many things right like you said cv and job development and train like you know so many things that yeah. is that people people use in their everyday lives so i'm sure when this pandemic hit um, Nels was already online, but it, it, just, it probably became even more meaningful to people. And I'm sure you are having people reach out to you that found you specifically because they were sort of struggling for um, access in this pandemic. Yeah, and, and you can sense the sort of almost, um, well, it's an incredibly stressful time. And these people um, contact us and they're not sure how we work and they're not sure how to do it and they're not sure what's involved. Like, they're just unsure, but they do know that their loved one really wants to read books again. <laughs> and uh -huh. so, you know, it's a great chance to talk with people, to teach them about what NELS is and how it works and how they can get started. Um, so that has been quite special. Uh, maybe a, so a little silver lining. <laughs> right. Yeah, so maybe, maybe let us know how they, how Nels does work, maybe before pandemic or in both during, but because um, I, I don't, like I said, it's, I think people are struggling to understand the library landscape these days. And um, I think it is hard to know um, if you could sort of give us a brief, just like a summary of what Nels, how it works. Sure. So before the pandemic, Nels was essentially a library for libraries. So we were here for anyone to um, go to their local library. And it was quite important that people access Nels through their local library. And that was because for a couple of reasons, we wanted people to connect with their local library and also librarians and for librarians to get the opportunity to know the people in their community 
who have print disabilities to start building those relationships. But also access to NELS requires a print disability. It's in our agreements with publishers. It's, it's um, there so that we can um, follow copyright law. And so there was the chance that, well, people then in the library could verify, yes, this person has a print disability. So that's great. So they would sign up in their local library to access NELS. And once they had done that, that was essentially all there was to it. Then you could access NELS, look at our catalogue, a catalogue much like other library catalogues, just a different address, and look at the books we have. Um, the funding provinces were also able to, and let me just make sure I don't miss anyone. So the funding provinces who pay for NELS are British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Nova Scotia, Northwest Territories, Nunavut, and Yukon. And because they've funded NELS, they can request books to be created in um, accessible formats. So if you have that, you know, if you're in love with a book from the 70s, I read this great chess book that I've been looking for forever in the 70s. There is no way it's available in an accessible format. Right. Mm. It's probably not even published anymore. But if I was a patron and was able to access NELS, I could say to NELS, I really would love to read this book again. Can you please create it in an accessible format? And we can do that. That's great, and I think um, it's important that yeah. you br you bring up that um, the the provinces can can uh, pay into this. And but at the same point, if if a province doesn't agree to pay into it, they can still access access the 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 NEL services. Um, That's so right. Maybe kind of talk just talk briefly about the differences. So yeah, like, I guess you kind of already covered that in the sense that if if you if a province funded it, then they can request books. Whereas if if you haven't, you can just access what's what's already there. I'm I'm assuming that's it, probably. Yes, yes, that's essentially it in a nutshell. So that was how NELS worked before the pandemic. However, after the pandemic, what happened was, as you can imagine, libraries started closing everywhere, and we were getting. Um, lots of emails from people who desperately wanted access to NELS but couldn't get into their library or, you know, the staff at the library had always helped their friend or loved one access and the library was closed now. So after that, we decided that what we would do is we would open up NELS just across the board. We would ask people to verify, self-verify that they do have a print disability and as long as we had that policy in place, then that would be enough. And, and how so do that's people where we prove stand. that? Um, they tell us. Okay. That, so we'll say, um, NELS is only accessible to people with a print disability. Can you confirm that you have a print disability? Sometimes they even send them photos, though we don't ask them to do that. <laughs> mm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't think that just anyone would 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 block to Nels without having the need for it so much. Um, but I guess you never know. Well, I have to say, we have this book in our collection called War and Peace, and it's read by Alexander Scurby. And he is called the, let me just read this because it's hilarious. He is called the greatest voice ever recorded. And I was initially extremely confused about why almost every week I would get an email from somewhere around the world asking to access Alexander Scorby's 
version of War and Peace. Like I was thinking this is kind of weird and kind of creepy. I don't understand why this keeps happening. Wow. Um, yeah, but I would have to say I'm sorry you have to be in Canada and you have to have print disability, but you can buy it from this teeny tiny little shop somewhere in, you know, I don't know, Brazil or something. <laughs> wow. We had to go on a big search to find somewhere else to access it because um, it was so popular. Yeah, I mean, audiobook narrators become celebrity in their own right sometimes. If you have a good voice for audio and you can make people engage them to listen. Yes, indeed. And that's what's great about, I'm sure, your job is that you get to help people. You basically direct people to wherever they're needing some help. That's what librarians are, are good at. Yeah, and, that's right. And it is sad that, uh, um, you know, local libraries aren't, aren't able to be what they were before the pandemic so much to everybody. Um, but yeah, I guess I've, I've, a few times I've thought about moving from Ontario. I think one of the reasons the last few years I've ser uh, sort of jokingly considered it is because I, I, w I wish that uh, my province here, the province of Ontario, was one of those funders. I really do. Yeah. What, what kind of feedback do you get about that from people when they find out that that's kind of part of it? Or are you have not, you have, you're not seeing so much of that? Oh, no, we do get feedback from people who... Um, more so before the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I would have to say to people, I'm sorry you're not from a funding province, so we won't be able to make that for you. Um, let me help you try and find it somewhere else. Or, And, and people were, were quite shocked. They would um, mm -hmm. be like, oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's not something I would have... I would have guessed would be necessary either because just because I didn't understand how Nels worked or the funding model or any of that. So I guess that probably does sort of spring, spring, uh, surprise, spring that surprise on people when they realize what that means. But yeah. that's for people who like to, uh, I guess, recommend books, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or want, who want a certain book. Um, and right now your other option here in Canada is uh, um, something called SELA. For Center for Equitable Library Access. So they're basically, they have a lot of the same features. and, and Right, but and, I think I think it's important that we talk about the the differences between the two. And mm -hmm. part, I mean, part of the reason I think there is a little bit of, um, I mean, this is a good question to, to ask our guest, but um, I think part of it is the fact that the the, the CELA, which is connected with the, the CNIB, um, here, here in Ontario, where the CNIB actually is, it's hard, especially in this province, um, f to to convince people because they say, oh, you already have this, you already have Sela. But our point is, why why is there just one option? Why do we have to set? Why do we have to just settle for one thing when there's another option that also has accessible books? And this, you know, Nels is integrating it into the public library system instead of having a se totally separate library that you have to order through. So, if you could maybe just speak a little bit about that, about that, or maybe maybe your opinion on why you think some provinces are resistant to, uh, cause to, to uh, support? Um, I really don't know. Yeah. Uh, no. One. <laughs> that's, Nobody that's seems to be able feel. to figure I'm it out. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. No, We're asking you a question that we wish we, we don't know the answer to. And, and, and I don't know if there's necessarily that good of an answer, but, uh, <laughs> But if you think of it as a wider societal issue with understanding that the importance and why this why this would matter to someone like me or like someone else who wants that option. Yeah. But it shouldn't, it just shouldn't be like that, really. 
and your experience um, with librarians being a librarian and working with libraries yeah yeah well libraries are about collaboration Mm -hmm. my whole experience in libraries has been about um bringing in other groups finding ways to be relevant to your customers like customer driven service you know so it's about mm -hmm. what people who use your library want. If people who right. use your library want nails, then you find a way to get nails. <laughs> right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's what like, we've always done. It's so like how you were why, saying it, 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 it touches people's souls, the library, because it's such a... So you'd think that, you know, people who are any... any any person who goes into a library that wants help, you'd think the library would be open to listening to what they have to say. And, and, the, and the fact, too, even that with NELS, a province can still sign up and not, you know, even if the, the province isn't funding it, the library can still have access to what's already out there in the collection. Um, yeah. And it's just, it is surprising. And in and, and my, my personal opinion, I do think it is because of this, the CELA and the CNIB. And I don't know how much you know about that, but um, I think it's, it's because that's the, it's sort of the Canadian model more of, you know, the CNIB is here for the blind, just let the blind go there and not, which to us seems, you know, discriminate, it's, it's discrimination because we should mm -hmm. all be included in the libraries. It's supposed to be for, the library is supposed to be for everyone, not, oh no, we don't have stuff for you here. You have to go to a special library. That just doesn't, it doesn't add up for me. And um, yeah, it's just something that for people to think about. Yeah. Well, well, the good news is more and more we are collaborating with CELA. Mm -hmm. Building bridges, making friends, sitting around and breaking bread. <laughs> so, you know, you never know. Things yeah. change. I guess I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I know libraries have budgets and there's all these things. But to me, the, the, the pushback I got here in Ontario always seemed to me like those were excuses for something. And now, I, you know, I'm not in charge of, of running a, a library, so I don't know how that would work. But. Yeah, exactly. And I did. I was tired of feeling like I was so um, so separate, right? Like I was, I couldn't be part of the library like everyone else. The only reason I was using my library the last few years is because of a writing group I was going to attend there, and I met some great friends there who are also fans of literature and stories. And so that the idea that anybody would sort of put up a roadblock to that seemed so weird to me, as as new as, as I was to learning about Nels myself. And that was part of my issue um, is that I figured I felt I'm still new about with this. I still don't really quite, I, I guess I didn't feel like I was um, that I was sticking up for Nels the way I should. Like I was, I was explaining it properly or something. I felt like it fell on me. So that was sort of unfortunate. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you see, you know, so much of that. And uh, yeah, I think for sure to start with, like you mentioned earlier, print braille books to have even a little, a little collection of those in the children's section that would benefit everybody in my opinion yeah and it's like yeah we, exactly like we talk about how you know even if even if a kid isn't blind or has no connection to blindness if they go into a library with their family and they find this book with braille in it they might be curious and say what is this and then you know more people are learning about braille so just something as simple as that i think is uh is very important that leads beautifully into the Nell's print braille collector that we've just started. <laughs> Great. Like I said, I'd love to know all about that, working with this publisher these days. So let us maybe know about that. Sure. So this is a collection of English and French language braille books. And the books have been chosen by public librarians who love books. So huh. seed collections are sent out to specific libraries in each province that have put their hand up to host. Mm 
And the idea is that every public library in their region will be able to share these books locally and among each other and so share a seed collections of, of books in print braille format. So these books come in a variety of fiction and non-fiction for all ages and there's a list on our website um, of the different books that are available and we expect to be adding to them. Well, like I said, I hope, I hope we can, you'll add the book that I consulted on this year to that collection. Just having a look to see if it's there. <laughs> you told me the name earlier. What was it? No, I don't think it would be there. It's still being, oh. well, I how much, it was called My City Speaks. It's being published in 2021. So it hasn't been published yet. Oh, right. right how, mu way. how much of that are you involved in? That That's the, the side of it. Like as far as if I, if I directed my, that publisher to reach out to you guys, um, you're the public service librarian. That's what your title is. Yep. Yep. That's yeah. right. So I don't know if everybody knows exactly what that is. So, um, I, I, we appreciate you're here to, and you're going to tell us all about this news program you guys have going. Um, but I don't know what that process kind of would be. Do you know if yep. I, if a publisher reaches out to you guys, how does that work? So broadly, they would send it to support at NELS and that would come mm -hmm. to me. And then I generally, <laughs> generally, so I know everything that's going on everywhere. <laughs> Good. In a perfect world. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I would be able to make sure the right person got it. <laughs> okay. Well, then we can talk off the air. I'm not sure, yeah, if they've reached out to you, when they might reach out to you. Hopefully they do. Oh, uh, cool. You know, I don't know what their timetable for publishing is in 2021, and I'm definitely going to talk about that stuff more on Outlook when I know more. Um, but they have been great at keeping me in the loop about it. So I did direct them to a few resources, and then I also gave them, I sort of direct them toward Nels. So I'm hoping that they'll be reaching out if they haven't yet already. Yeah, that'll be great. But how does that work as a publisher reaches out? or? Um, so normally I would put them in touch with either the collections people who would then make deals with them about getting their book onto um, NELS. And that would essentially just be letting us know what sort of files they have. And then we would ask them um, if it's an accessible format, if it's not an accessible format, if they're interested in making books in accessible format, here's the links. Or if they just want to send us their file, that's cool. We can do it that way as well. Oh, okay. So it's as simple, well, I don't say simple, but it's as simple as that they could just send you the, their file of the book. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And is there a, like, how, how do, um, I just don't know how, like, what are the methods to sort of getting the word out to, to these, um, the publishers and stuff that Nels is a thing. And that, like, I guess that's just promotion and really trying to, get your name out there but um it's one of those things we're trying to have more publishers like carrie saying you you would recommend the publisher and that might be normally how it happens someone would would recommend them i think so i think that would be how i suspect that when people put accessible books into google we would be fairly close to the top because right. we get a lot of general queries about hi i want to make my books accessible can you tell me how to do that right um, we belong to um, different groups like the WC3 um, Accessibility Group, and they're a group that's um, international, but they look at um, best practice for making books accessible. Um, we speak at conferences and hold the Accessibility Summit in Toronto every year. So we try to be out there as much as possible, um, letting people know what we do, um, 
yeah, highlighting our collections. Right. And like you said, a big part of it is building bridges and, and breaking bread and making connections with everybody. Yeah, and trying to realize all, all work yeah. together. You know, it's, it's this thing. Yeah. We, don't want, we don't want any of, the, any of these debates. We want Sela we want still. It's, that's fine. But we also want Nels too. You know, it's, there's always room for more. That's not like, you know, one thing. So it's all, it is great that people are, hopefully things do collaborate and that, that everyone is working together because that's, that's what it's all about really. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So were you, so I believe I heard about this summit with the publisher. So they presumably had one back before COVID hit last, last March, February, January. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so were you able to, were you at that or were you not? No, I wasn't You're, at that. You hadn't joined Nels then at that point, yeah. Um, I had joined, but I think I was feeling new and didn't really know what was going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, I think I did hear from a few people who are testers, like you sort of alluded to earlier, um, and a few of them appeared at the summit to, I guess, to help demonstrate the value of it. Um, yes, yes, indeed. So what are these testers that you mentioned? So we have a group of testers who will um, go through books and look at how accessible they are, create content, um, help us with our website. We're currently doing a website audit to make sure that our website is as accessible as possible. Um, Mm. It's a sort of fast-moving area. So what was good enough three years ago is not necessarily as good as it can be now. Um, and the same for um, books. So what um, the way that things were done three to five years ago is, is quite different from the way things are done now. I mean, like TikTok didn't even exist five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, everything changes <laughs> so, so quickly. Te- but. <laughs> That's right. So new technologies give us new opportunities to make things even better. And our um, testers help us do that. And how would someone become a tester? We put out um, jobs. Yep. Yeah, you just yeah, I've seen those job calls before, and it does look like an interesting job. I just I don't know if I would be so good at you know I I, I don't know how much you have to know about technology and all those things like you said, or do you get sort of some tutorial with that? Um. um oh, I think they really help you. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, just based I'm passion, on passionate enough about it that it sounds fascinating. Based that on I can yes. help in that way. What we're talking about about libraries is they, you know, the, the point is to help people and help people learn mm-hmm. and education. And this is, you know, so the, the public can be educated and have access to information and and. Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. Um, the testing team are amazing and they do really cool stuff. If you have a look on YouTube, there's some of the stuff there. But there's, there's a lot of other stuff they do um, as well. So it's not just creating tutorials. It's also feeding back on some of the um, books we have, um, reading books, uh, fixing books that are, don't have the proper titles. Wow, yeah, I'm sure there's so much that, they, that, that, that can be caught and, cha- and improved for the future. So, yeah, we're, we're coming down to the last couple minutes here today on Outlook. We've been speaking with Pikiora. P- from uh, yes. National Network for Equitable Library Services, which you can find at nnels.ca. 
And thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. We're trying to educate the public and make people realize that this exists. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we're just trying to spread the word. So we really appreciate you coming on today. I think it's been a great in, in, inform, uh, formal discussion and lots of information here. So, And World Braille Day on January 4th. Nels is um, involved in that. Having some celebrations. I hear we're having a birthday celebration for Braille. <laughs> yes, indeed. Nice. It's going to be very exciting. Great. No, I'll be there for sure. But thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been great chatting with you and getting to know about your library work and, and Nels and New Zealand. So thank you. <laughs> Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.